0: You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Well, that was such an honor. You guys all right? Yeah. Y'all made it. It's rainy, but we made it. There were like cars off the road on my way up here. I was like, man, God's going to move this morning because I'm risking my life <laughs> to get to Bangor, Maine. But um, so good to be with you guys. Um, I... Uh, I just want to say how honored I am to share a pulpit with with the Joyas with with Matt and Jess and Pastor Matt and Jess. Aren't you guys so thankful to have them? Can we just give it up for the for Pastor Matt and Jess? Um, I remember when I when I got the call. I got a call from Matt a couple years ago as they were still in Colorado, and I got a call from them, and it was you know a, a number I didn't recognize from Colorado, and I and um and I thought this is either going to be a question about my extended warranty on my car. Uh, or this is, or this is going to be a God moment. I, I have this tension now with, with numbers I don't recognize. Either it's like something absolutely absurd, or, or it's going to be like something fun and exciting. I, the pandemic kind of changed that because it could also be the CDC, and I didn't want that either. But, um, I, I, but I remember getting that call and. And he's like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but God's speaking to my family. We feel called to Maine. And he, he just began to tell me his whole story. And, uh, and it stirred my heart. Like, aren't you guys encouraged that God is calling people to Maine for such a time as this? It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. You know, uh, Pastor Matt and Jess re- represent um, a remnant uh, of people that are being called all, from all over the state of Maine over this past season, I probably have six families in our church who I, I ask them like, hey, are you from Maine? Where are you from? And they go, actually, I'm from Colorado, or I'm from Utah, or I'm from uh, New York. I'm from Pennsylvania. They're from all over the country. And uh, I said, why are you here? And, and they said, we don't know, but it's totally God. Because that's a good thing, you know, and um, so it, it's an encouraging thing. God's calling families like the is to, um, and and like some of the people in the church to, to, uh, for such a time as this. And I love what they're modeling and praying for the local churches, sharing a, a pulpit with me. I mean, how many guys know that's the kingdom, and this is what church should look like. Uh, church is coming together to build the kingdom and not my kingdom, amen. And uh, so I'm really honored to be here. Hey, uh, before I jump in, Jeremiah, right. Um, I just found out you're moving, is, is that correct? When I walked into our huddle here earlier, I looked across the way and I saw you, not knowing that you're transitioning. And, um, and I saw a picture when I saw you, I saw a clear anointing on your life. And um, I saw a picture of the Grand Canyon. I don't know why I saw that when I, when I saw that, but I saw a picture of the Grand Canyon. And uh, in worship, I was asking the Lord for a word for you. And, um, and, the, and the, Lord, uh, the Lord clearly spoke to me. He says, just as waters carved out the deep places of the Grand Canyon, your time in Maine, God's been carving out deep things in you. And, um, and I really felt like if you're returning home, you're, you're coming back from assignment, I really feel like you're going home with a new depth. And uh, God's going to make a lot of things make sense for you when you get home. And um, that, that there's a really, really deep work. And there was some cutting that didn't feel pleasant at the time. But, but I felt like the Lord just says that you're, you're deep. There's a new depth to you and, um, and that there's a lot of people that will come and receive from the depth on your life. So um, I felt like even when you get home, God's going to make, um, connect a lot of dots for you. So come on, bless you, man. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, go to me, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I, uh, I want to talk this morning about ever increasing faith, if that's okay. Um, I, I gotta be honest, no matter like how, you know, stressful or tense this past season of life has been for all of us, um, I, I have to say, I really love the season of life we're in, um, globally. I, I and it's par- partially my nature, right? Like how do you guys know it's like a put up or shut up type of season of life, right? It, it's like, it's for real, it's full on. And, and I was telling this to our church a couple weeks ago, you know, I, I it's like, Uh, You know, there's a whole postmodern culture that, you know, younger generations are are emerging with postmodern thought, which literally means let's look at truth, let's deconstruct it, and let's rearrange it to fit our narrative. And we can look at that and go, how disgusting is that? And how, how, how poisonous is that? But I, I wanna present to you that there is something about that that's gonna make one of the most anointed, fiery revival generations that have ever walked the face of the earth is gonna emerge out of, a, out of a postmodern culture. Why? It's because they're going to attempt to deconstruct truth. They're going to encounter the Holy Spirit and truth. And because of it, they will be more genuine. There will be no tradition. There will be no obligation. There will be such a genuine, move of the Holy Spirit in a younger generation because nobody, they tried to convince themselves out of it and they were unsuccessful. And uh, I love the day and age that we're in because there's a demand from heaven to live a radical lifestyle of faith and and to swim upstream, if I could say it that way. And I want to talk this morning about the Pines Church becoming a church of ever-increasing faith that's right. So if you have your Bibles, it's going to be Hebrews 11, uh, 1. Um, I don't know if you guys do slides and stuff. They asked me for slides. I don't do slides. I'm sorry. Um, I, I changed my message this morning. And that's why I don't do slides, because I'm, I'm just not polished like that. I, I, I wish I was. I'm jealous. I wish I was a slides guy. But I just like switch it so much. It just seems like so much work. Um, so I don't. So I'm sorry. But... um. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read this to you. Hebrews 11.1, it's it's a verse we all know. Um, It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we do not see. I think one of the greatest mistakes that we've ever made about the message of faith is that we have told ourselves and we have believed that faith is believing. And I want to present to you that faith is not believing. Faith is about responding to what you believe in. It says that faith is a substance of things that you hope for. By very definition, faith is a substance, which means that there's matter, there's measurability, there's something experiential about faith. It is something I can see, taste, touch, and feel. Faith is a substance. A substance of what? A substance of things that I hope for. The hope is an internal reality that I've built within myself that has, has latched on to who God says that he is. Faith is a substance of things that I believe and is the evidence of an unseen world. That, that idea of evidence is that the church can say um, God is, uh, you know, God is a healer, but Uh, and I believe that, my hope is that God heals the sick. But faith doesn't just say God heals the sick and I believe it. Faith actually says, I believe that God heals the sick. So I'm going to lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. Faith actually makes the motion in response to what I believe. And because of that, faith bridges the unseen reality of the promises and the nature of God. And it bridges them into the reality so that it becomes substance for the rest of the world to see. Does that make sense? So there, there's, there's definitely a hope, man. And, and hope, let's be honest, is not like a glasses half full way of thinking. It's not a positive outlook. It says in Hebrews chapter four, is it, I move fast, or, is that okay? All right, I'll try to put an hour and 30 minutes if you can keep up with me. Um, it, says in, it, says in Hebrew, it says in Romans chapter four, verse 18, it says, against all hope, Abraham had hope and in so doing, he became the father of many nations. And he did not waver in unbelief because of his old age, but it says, or of the deadness of his wife's womb, but he was persuaded. Everyone say persuaded. He was persuaded that God was able to do what he said that he would do. Hope had a moment where it came into conflict with what we would call reality. And he believed that God said, you're gonna be the father of many nations. But he looked around and he did not see the reality that he, he would be the father of many nations, but says, but he became persuaded that God was able to do what he said that he was going to do. That there was an internal persuasion of hope or belief, understanding, confidence in who God says he was. And it caused him to live in a reality that was actually different than the one that anybody else would measure around him. Faith is an internal response to what we believe to be true. Faith has action. Faith has movement. Um, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, verse 6, it says, so we are always confident. Everyone say confident. We are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. It says we walk by faith and we, not, we don't walk by sight. But before this, it says that we're confident in that. The whole world's telling me I'm nuts, <laughs> I, but I'm walking by faith and not by sight. It says in Hebrews, it says in one place, it says, um, um, everything is under his feet, but we don't see everything under his feet, but we see Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There's something about living from a reality that's different from the one that's going on to the world around us, and we're preaching a message, and we're preaching a gospel that everyone's saying, give me evidence, prove it, put up or shut up, and I kind of like that. Because there's a demand being put on the church saying, You're going to walk by faith or you're going to walk by sight. Are you going to adapt your world to like, hey, let's just be pleasant to everything that's going on around us. And let's, let's just kind of adopt a message that makes everyone feel okay. Or are we just going to live in a way that makes us understandable? Can, can we make the gospel a pill that's able to be swallowed? Can we adjust and change? And he's saying it is what it is. And you got to become internally persuaded so that your lifestyle will begin to reflect the truth of what you believe. Is that all right? Um, and, and, and so what I want to, here, here's what I want to say is that although hope is our internal reality, faith is our external measurable response to what we believe. But how many you guys know, um, and this is where like, I like, I hear a lot of people go, you got to have faith. I'm like, okay, you got to have faith, live by faith. Okay. I want to present to you. Faith isn't just something you can have. Faith is something that has to be cultivated. Because it's a byproduct of your hope. And if it's a byproduct of your hope, we keep telling church, have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. But there's a process of cultivating faith in your life. That faith is something that grows. And it grows by by actually responding to the nudges and the moments of our daily life uh, of cultivating his word and the seed of his word that's gone into our heart, that we would actually begin to live in response to it, that we would begin to actually walk it out, and that we would live in what I would call an ever-increasing faith. And the, the more that we become persuaded, the more that we live and the more that we grow, I want to present to you uh, that, that the more we will demonstrate the promises of God's nature to the world around us. Amen? And so if you guys have your Bibles, um, I know I'm making you jump around a little bit, but we're gonna go to Deuteronomy chapter 11 because I wanna talk about how do we actually enter into what I would call an ever-increasing faith. I wanna talk about um, how do we enter into um, that process of cultivating the seeds of faith in our life. And um, and what, what does it look like daily? You ready? Uh, Deuteronomy 11, verse 10. It says, uh, this is a promise to the land of Israel, uh, to, the, to the Israelites. It says, the land that you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come out of, where you were planted your seed and you irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land that you're crossing into, the Jordan, to take possession of, Is a land of mountains and valleys that drink up the rains from heaven. It is a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. And so if you are are faithful to obey the commands that I have given to you today, to love the Lord God and to serve him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your olive oil. And I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Now, okay, so why why am I highlighting this? Israel being captive to Egypt, wandering through the desert and being delivered over the Jordan into the land of promise. Although a very real event, one of the things that we have to understand about every, uh, every step Israel takes is a prefig- prefiguration or a shadow of the salvation born again experience of you and I. Um, Augustine, the Catholic teacher said, he said this, he said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In Colossians 1, it says, um, the mystery that has been hidden from ages and generations has now been revealed to us, which is Christ in you, is the hope that God will receive glory. When we, when we look at the, the veiled messages and mysteries and movements and prophecies of the Old Testament, they remain veiled as a mystery, waiting to be unlocked by the experience that was made available through Jesus himself. That when we became born again, we were given a key and that key unlocked mystery. Is that all right? And now when we take the message in the gospel of Jesus, what's now been revealed, we go into the Old Testament, we can begin to look at the movements of Israel, and we can begin to unlock truth and revelation because we've been given the key to the locked room. I hope that makes sense. It says uh, in, in Luke 24, Jesus is walking with the two men to the road to Emmaus, and uh, and he walks up alongside them. He's resurrected. He's died and been raised again. He shows up next to these two guys, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and uh, and he's walking alongside of them. And he goes, "So, what's all the what's all the hubbub, guys? What's going on?" And they go, "The w- w- are you the only person of all of Israel that has not heard that Jesus, who said he'd be raised from the dead, uh, raised from the dead, is back? He's alive." And, uh, and he goes, oh, you foolish, darkened minds. He goes, did you not see it all along? And it says that he showed them all through the Pentateuch, all through the law of Moses and, and, and the prophecies. It says that he showed them himself. And as they walked on the road of Emmaus, they go, they go, we are so overwhelmed by what you're saying. This makes so much sense. You've unlocked all these mysteries that we've been under for so long. Come and eat with us. And he goes, gladly. And he goes in and he breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread, they eyes open and they see it's Jesus. And this is the most cinematic moment in all of the Bible. And all of a sudden he goes, surprise, and disappears. Like it's, my, it's one of my favorite moments. It's like, so cinematic, so theatrical, you know? And Jesus disappears and they turn to each other and they go, it was him! And they, and they go, didn't our hearts burn within us as we walked along the road? Did you know that the road of Emmaus, the, the word Emmaus means burning? It was the road to a burning dump site. And on the road, of the, on the road to burning, Jesus unlocked mystery that caused their hearts to burn. And it wasn't until he, they invited him to fellowship and to break bread that their eyes finally opened to see him for who he was. And this is actually such a significant moment for all of us is that, that uh, and I wanna encourage you, this has nothing to do with any of the rest of my message, but I wanna encourage you to walk on the road to burning and get set on fire by seeing the fulfillment of Jesus between the, in the marriage of the old and new covenant to see it. And um, I, I, I want to look at this in Deuteronomy 11 because there's such a profound messianic prophecy in the story of Deuteronomy chapter 11. <clears throat> and um, it's this, he goes, you guys were captives, you guys were slaves, and you had to toil and work for anything to bear fruit. You lived in a land where you had to, there wasn't water, you had to make water. You had to draw it from the ground you had to tell that water where to go. And you had to cultivate that, that, those, those weeds and everything every single day because the land you were living was not created to bear fruit. You came from the land of Egypt, but I'm bringing you to another land. And when I deliver you across the Jordan, now this is about your coming out of being a captive and a slave and a prisoner and you coming into the salvation experience in Jesus. And he says this, he goes, I'm bringing you to a land that was made to bear fruit. Where The land literally soaks up the rain from heavens that that, that come down of mountains and valleys where you don't have to work. This land was made to be fertile. This land was made to bear fruit. And this is your promise that I'm taking you out of struggle and strife and I'm bringing you into ease and favor. I'm bringing you into an entirely different ecosystem and culture and environment that actually bears fruit. And what I, want, what I want to present to us is that <clears throat> there, is, uh, there is an ecosystem that we've been brought into and that when we give our life to Jesus, that we come out of Egypt, we come into the land of Jordan, our promised land, and, and, and our, what worked in Egypt won't work in the promised land. What brought you joy in Egypt will not bring you joy in the promised land. What, the way you had to work in order to bear fruit isn't the way that you bear fruit over here. You, you used to serve the needs of man, but now you serve the needs of the Lord. You, you, you don't just um, you hold on to your money. You freely give it all away. You, you don't just preserve your time. You freely lay it down and carry your cross. You, you, you don't, he says that there, the ways that work there won't work here. And it is an invitation saying to to learn how to sow seed and bear fruit in the new environment and ecosystem that I I have prepared for you. It's not your own strength. It's my strength. It's not your own peace. It's my peace. Peace used to be coming from your ability to control a situation. Peace now comes from your trust of my ability to control a situation. You know, and, and how many of you guys know that because we've been delivered into a new ecosystem that bears fruit in our life, that there's our daily confrontations and tensions on how to yield ourselves to the ways of heaven, to the ways of the word. This right here is, this is a, this is a manual, an instructional manual on how to bear fruit in, in, in your born again experience. There's boundary lines. Hey, don't do that. We got to understand it's not because, hey, don't do that because I don't like it. It's, hey, don't do that because it'll rob the fruit from your life. It, it's out of, David said, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. And so the boundary lines that are being presented are not boundary lines saying, you know, uh, hey, that's, that's bad, so just quit it and stop it and you're going to go to hell. It's actually saying, I have a lot for you. I want to share the fullness of who I am. I want to give you all of my spirit. I want to pour out my presence on your life. I want you to bear fruit in the earth. I love you so deeply. I want to share my inheritance with you. Here's the boundary line so that you aren't trying to harvest seed and land that doesn't belong to you. There's an the invitation, I love you and I want you to bear fruit. So join me. Here, here's some instructions on how to do it. And how many of you guys know there's, there's daily tensions in our life saying, are we going to do what he's called us to do? Are we going to cultivate belief in our life that will become faith? or are we going to continue to live in resistance to this new ecosystem he's brought us into? Right? What what does this look like? Uh, Let me say this. Jesus said, uh, you know, when you hear my words and you do them, you built your house on the rock. I've heard so many Christians going, well, I believe in Jesus, my house is on the rock. That's That's not what he said. He said, if you hear my words and you do them, you're like the house that was built on the rock. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. There's something about taking in the word. And I want to present this, I'll just say this like straight out: You cannot grow in faith if you are not consuming the written but infallible living two-edged sword word of God. Until that becomes evidence of being written inside of our being, and this isn't religious. This isn't um, tradition. This is fellowship with God. Is communing with God over his word and allowing the word of God to confront. Ooh, that's a hard one to take. Whoo, forgiving my enemy. He, he, oh man, he puts a, a table before me in the presence of my enemies and his banner over me is love you know, when, until we sit with that and we meditate and we, we digest what that means in our life daily. When he says, hey, listen, you can't have salt water and fresh water coming out of the same spring. There is a, your tongue is like a fiery world that will literally drag your butt to hell. You watch your words. When, when, it, when we sit with that and go, oh my gosh, Lord, what does that mean? And how do I process that? There, there is a faith that's longing to be cultivated in our life and until we sit with the Lord And we allow his word to confront us, at times wound us, at times nourish us, at times comfort us, at times build us up and at times break us down until we allow the word to do its work inside of us. We will have a faith that is anemic. We will have a faith that is is tired and weary and doesn't know where it stands. How, how, do we, how do we grow? By aggressively investing ourselves into the word of God, by allowing the word to dictate our atmosphere and our beliefs, by adjusting our lives around the instructions of scripture. Man, could you just imagine every day having a, a cross in the roads and you go, but what, is the, what does the word say? And I, I know that sounds so elementary. I know it does. But how many you guys know Doing what you want and doing what the word says is, is, is not elementary at all. It hurts. Sometimes when we sit and, we, and we, we choose to not go in what we're just longing to do with our own life, but we actually listen to the word of God and we make a step going, I'm gonna persuade myself to believe that there is a road that leads to life and I'm gonna take it not knowing and I have to fully yield trust to the Lord. How many of you guys know there are parts of me that dies? There's parts of, of who he is that comes alive inside of me. And by doing so, I'm becoming a disciple and my very soul, emotions, beliefs, and views are being discipled in that moment that I allow him to conquer my wants so that I can yield to his leadership. When when we oppose mindsets and belief systems that are in opposition to the word of God at our church, one of the things that we love, we love, love, love. Are you ready for this? We love kingdom confrontation. We love it because it's all rooted in love. And we, we, we see ourselves as a family that's pursuing the presence of God together. And that means that when there's, when there's friction in the family, we rumble until we become more connected. We don't run from it because we're missing an opportunity to grow. How many of you guys know in doing a church together, you guys are, you guys are five months in. Come on, five months in, right? Is that right? Five, six months? Oh, March. Okay, six months in. You guys are only just beginning building family and history and hard seasons and easy seasons. And, and glory seasons and revival seasons and struggling seasons, seasons of lack and seasons of excess. And you guys are gonna walk that out as a family and real life is gonna come up and there's gonna become these moments where it's like, okay, I can either run away from this and do what I've been doing for years and avoid it entirely, or I can lean into it and deepen my connection with people around it and let this confrontation actually make me more like Jesus and trust the people around me that they love me. And I'm gonna enter into it and I'm gonna be brave. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share my heart. And there's a depth that God wants to carve out in those moments with you. But there is a moment where, you know, like even like the Matthew 18 thing of like, go to your brother when you see something going on. And there's this moment like, that's what the word says, but that's not fun. and I don't want to do it. How do you guys know when there's a moment where we're being invited into that, that, that that's actually a moment that you can cultivate faith in your life. That when you go, you do what the word calls you do, and you come in love, and you are vulnerable, and you are courageous with your feelings and your, and your emotions and with somebody else's life, it might actually not go well. But you are being invited in to align your heart to his ways. And no matter the outcome, I'm going to grow in this. I'm going to become a disciple in this moment of how to do real kingdom family. I'm going to do like real, you know, a lot of us have come from different church experiences and we've seen a lot of stuff done and we like, I don't wanna do that again. And there's gonna be these divine opportunities where we can like lean in and do it the kingdom way. And those, they're, not, they're not easy, they're hard and they hurt. Take a lot of courage. But I'm telling you, it's gonna build a revival culture in this house because you guys are deepening family and you're becoming disciples and you're trusting the Lord in those moments. Uh, by finding joy uh, in listening to the Lord, by reciting the word of God in all situations, by positioning relationships that endorse the word of God in your life. There's certain moments where you just want to do one thing and God says, hey, I want you to do this and go invest in that person. And there's going to be something that you'll see the hand of God move in your life in a fresh and new way because you said yes to the Lord and no to something else. How many of you guys know there's a no and a yes in every decision? You have to say no to something and you have to say yes to something in every choice that you make. And by doing so, there is such significant opportunity to like go, okay, I'm gonna say yes to what the Lord's calling me to say yes and say no to what the Lord's calling me to say no. And it's different from the way that I've done it before. But my encouragement to you is this, is that God is inviting you in to cultivate, out of belief, cultivate faith, radical faith that will actually cause you to become a witness to the goodness and the faithfulness of God uh, in your in your life. I um. <clears throat> I could tell you story after story, and uh, I'll, I'll tell. I'll, can I tell you one? Uh, just one. I got I got some that will challenge you, some that will blow your mind, some that be like, never invite that guy back again. Because I've seen God do amazing, amazing things. But I want to tell you one story. It's been in my heart all week long. And um, we, we, we had a, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. We, we had a young man in our church um, who was a drug addict. And uh, we helped walk, bring him off the streets, got out of jail. We took him off the streets. We put him into a home with another group of guys that we had. And we did a year. He gave his life to Jesus. He got radically impacted and changed. And um, he entered into um, probably not the best relationship with a female. And he started, um, and then she broke up with him. And at that point of his life, he wasn't so clearly walking with the Lord enough that he knew how to walk through pain. He had never walked through that pain. He had been insulated his life, which was okay for a season. He insulated his, his self from feelings. So he didn't know actually how to navigate pain and hurt and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and he went through pain, and the only thing he knew to do was to do drugs. And so he immediately got on the streets. He knew where to go, how to get it. He got what he needed, and he started doing drugs again. We put him into a rehab uh, facility because uh, he, he was begging for it. He got put into a rehab facility. Um, he, he experienced some stuff in there that wasn't great. He ran away one night and, uh, from the rehab facility, and uh, he went to a buddy, got some drugs, and, uh, and that night he was given, uh, he was given cocaine that was laced with rat poison. And uh, because of it, he died. Now, this was a long journey for us of walking with this and loving this young man deeply. And, um, and he had never OD'd or anything. He was just doing enough to numb the pain, but he came into contact with the wrong stuff and he died. And our community was thrashed, thrashed. I, I mean, devastated. The, the day that we found out that night, we do this thing called the burn. We have these six hour worship and prayer nights and uh, where we have rotating worship leaders and we do we worship all night long. It's kind of like a house of prayer type of thing. And um and we had the burn and man it was the most somber burn we've ever had. Usually people are dancing and singing and just rocking and praying and everyone just sat there quiet as someone played the piano. It was like we didn't know what to do. <clears throat> And my buddy, Tim, he's our, our worship pastor, and he's sitting on the front row and everyone's just weeping across the whole room. We weren't talking about it. We weren't praying for it. People were just weeping. And, uh, and my, my buddy, Tim, sitting on the front row, he, he all of a sudden, he hears the Lord say, uh, you know, unless the seed dies, that it will bear no fruit. And although that, that, that scripture, even taken out of context, carries some truth, that God was trying to reveal to Tim, is that from his life, I, I will bear fruit. And we didn't know how that would happen, right? So Tim is sitting there, and he's wrestling with the Lord, and he, and he hears the Lord just say subtly to his heart, I will raise up seven in his place. And, and he, and, and now mind you, what a courageous thing in the middle of the most mourning hard, difficult moment where people are grieving to grab the microphone and say, God's gonna raise seven in his place. It almost seems out of place. It almost seems like heartless to even enter into that conversation just yet. But he felt so deeply in his heart, the faith began to rise in his, in his heart as the Lord began to speak this to him. And so he gets up and he goes, guys, I, I, he's like, I feel really vulnerable saying this, but I felt this so clearly from the Lord that that, um, that, when, you know, that God will raise up seven in his place. And, and can we just pray right now, God, where the seed has died, let seven take his place. And the room started weeping and wailing and, and people just started crying out, God, seven in his place. And they started asking, God, prostitutes and drug dealers, bring them in seven in their place, God, seven in their place. And, and like, I mean, like, like un, has anybody ever like been in an uncomfortable prayer moment? where it's like the depths of your soul are just shaking within you because you are so connected with what the Lord is saying, but the weight of it is just weighing on you. That's what began to happen in that room. We walked it out. We walked with the family for the next, few, for, for the next year, right? Um, a, a few months after this night, I'm almost done. A, a, few, a few moments after this night, we were, uh, we were in uh, a church service and this young man came up to us weeping and, uh, and he says, hey, um, I, I, just, I just gave my life to the Lord and, and I just had an encounter with the Lord in your church and I want to start coming. And, and he started coming and he wasn't really telling us his testimony. We knew he's into drugs and we knew all that kind of stuff, um, but we didn't know to the extent, right? And on his one year anniversary of getting free, he goes, hey, I'd like to finally tell my testimony in front of the whole church. Now, mind you, I've never heard it before. And this young man is given the microphone. I was like, bro, go for it. We're just going to freak out and celebrate you, you know? And so I gave him the microphone. He gets up and he goes, one year ago today, I, I was, uh, I- I was um, at a concert. He's a lead guitarist for a major band. He traveled the country. And he goes, and I, I was on stage, completely drugged out of my mind. And he goes, I dropped, my, I dropped my guitar and started screaming at the crowd. No one loves me. No one loves me. No one lo- loves me. None of you love me. And he collapsed and he OD'd he wakes up in the hospital um, room and he's strapped to the bed and they're saying you're not allowed to leave the hospital until you recover and you have to go directly to a rehab facility. And so a bed opened up to a secular rehab facility in Florida. He goes down there and he remembers screaming on his bed, God, if you don't open a door, I will never serve you. But if you open a door for me to to do this, then I will serve you for the rest of my life. He screamed at the top of his lungs in in the hospital room. He gets sent down there and his mom's a Christian, but he hates Christianity. He was hurting the church and they keep going after him and about drugs and it was all secular, no talk of God at all. And he was so resistant and he would, he would spit in the guy's face that was trying to counsel him and he was angry and he was hurt and he was bleeding and he just didn't want anything to do with the help. And he goes, when I get out of here, I'm just going right back to it. And the guy that was counseling him said, enough. He goes, I'm not supposed to do this. I might lose my job. But young man, you need Jesus. And he goes, there's no hope for you unless you give your life to Jesus right now and he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. The kid starts breaking down and he goes, fine. And he leads him to salvation prayer. All of a sudden, this like wind of the presence comes all over him. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues in this guy's office. He gets completely set free, comes back to Maine, gets told about our church. He comes to our church. A year goes by, he's growing in the Lord. You never would have guessed his history. That radically changed. And that morning he gets out there and he goes, this happened to me. And I look over on the front row one of our worship leaders, Beth, is sobbing in her hands. And I'm thinking, wow, what a powerful testimony. And, and he ends and everyone claps and cheers. And she goes, hold on. And she comes and grabs the mic and she opens her journal. And she goes, one year ago today, we were in a burn and, and we prayed. And she had it in her journal that she wrote down, where one dies, let seven take his place. And, and, and the day of his recovery was the day that he get, got saved, was the day that we prayed this. And then somebody else is weeping over there, and this young man, another young man that we were walking out of drug addiction, he was in one of our guys' church, he was an Uber driver, and he was passed out in the backseat, our Uber driver guy in our church led him to Jesus, brought him to church, we'd been walking with him, it was one year to the day that he got saved. Another young lady says, I've never told anyone this, but one year ago today I got saved and I was prostituting myself on the streets of Portland. And all of a sudden, all these testimonies of the exact same day came up that this radical moment of salvation swept across addiction across the state of Maine and God moved on people's lives because a moment of faith that we became persuaded that against what the situation looked like, that God wanted to do something far greater. How many of you guys know God wants to do something far greater. God wants to do something far greater in this community. God wants to do something far greater in your family and through your life. And God wants their, uh, to, to, to produce in you an ever-increasing faith that partners with what he's doing in the spiritual realm for you to become a bridge and to become evidence in the natural realm. But in order to do that, God's going to begin to cultivate things on even subtle, nuanced levels of the decisions that you daily make, allowing the word of God to begin to rule and, and create a new ecosystem that you can bear fruit and that you can grow in. He's going to do it daily in your life. Is that all right? Yeah. So I, I want to present even the subtle ways that you're yielding to the word of God in your life and that you're, you're yielding to his process and what he's doing and the hurts and the pains and the hard conversations and hard de- decisions. Understand that there are souls hanging in the balance. The harvest is ripe. Uh, the, the, the world is ripe unto harvest for anyone, but the church is going to, is going to be the harvesters and it's going to be those that have been discipled inwardly and externally begin to live out of the ecosystem of a life that's been fully yielded to the word of God, that's been conquered in every way and begins to live and operate in radical faith. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you. So leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit PinesChurch.com.